if you had all the choice in the world, what would you do? Welcome, Mere Mortalites, to another round of the book reviews. My name is Kyron, host of the Mere Mortals podcast, but also this one where I dive deeper into the books that I'm reading to give you the juicy information that is within to extract some themes you might not have realized and to also look at markets and economics. Indeed, we do have The Long Tail by Chris Anderson, although this version I have here is actually called The Longer Long Tail. Uh, which was an updated and expanded edition. This was originally published in 2006, with this edition being the 2008, and it's about 250 pages in length, took me about five hours to get through in total. In basic, it's an exposition of how greater access to choices of products has altered businesses, and in particular in the tech age that was the 2000s and with the coming of the internet. So what he basically argues in here is that greater value can be unlocked from producers, and this can be of content, it can be of actual physical things, selling to consumers via better aggregation. And so we see this with the things like the digitization of products, so this being music, for example, of rating systems and how people have better access to filtering out the the wheat and the chaff, and then also just greater access to choice. And that actually gets onto the subtitle, How Endless Choice is Creating Unlimited Demand. What he really shows in this book is a lot of data, a lot of graphs. He has collated this from actual companies and then uses this to kind of prove his point. So he's not just making it up. And what he really shows is how this has had an impact on music with things like Apple and um, Spotify and, well, not Spotify in this particular, he uses one called Rhapsody on marketplaces. So this would be like eBay and Amazon on culture and how people are changing and new trends are popping up. And then even on the companies and why these gigantic monoliths have actually emerged and, and their business practices and why, what is the reason behind all of this? Before we get onto some of the themes, let's jump into about the author. So Chris Anderson, he was born in 1961 and he was the editor of Wired, a very popular magazine in the US and probably worldwide, uh, which was dealing with technology and trends and things like this. And he has a bit of a background in economics, working for, I believe, an economic journal or magazine. This book itself originally started as an article in Wired and I believe it was extremely popular. So he kind of jumped on board of that wagon and and expanded it into a a full book form. Uh, With this edition in particular, having a new chapter on marketing at the end, I believe, and just adding some extra detail and data, which the 2006 version didn't have in it. So let's jump onto the first theme, which is the market, how supply and demand interact. So there's kind of two concepts you got to see in this. And uh, if you're looking on your screen now, you'll see an example of what the long tail is. And so basically it's a graph and you can see on the x-axis is just the number of titles or how much choice there is. And then on the y-axis, it's a measure of something. So this would be of demand, of sales, of revenue, of popularity, things like this, just a a way of measuring how how much are these individual Um, things on the x-axis x-axis actually being accessed and used and so what we see is that there is a very chunk uh, what you would call the short head where there's very popular things these are the hits these are the the pop stars if you're talking about music these are the uh, biggest products or the best well-known brands if you're talking um, uh, physical things and then it goes into this long long tail where 
the you know hundred thousandth most popular thing there still is actually some demand for that people are still interested in this but it is very very small in comparison to these ones right at the top so you know comparing your uh, the sales of your local indie artist or band playing in your local pub compared to Britney Spears well okay that's going to be very very different and so what we really see is that the the big mainstream hits um, were a kind of pre-internet phenomena um, and they mostly had a short head cutoff. So we can really see, okay, the, there was a vast amount of attention and before access to technology and things like this, yeah, there was no ability to kind of access the long tail readily. It was, it was hard to do. And so what he was essentially arguing in this book is that technology changes and what we can see is that this long tail is now able to be accessed and this has had all sorts of interesting changes to businesses and how there's uh, kind of three main players in this, this being the producers. So someone who produces a content, much like myself, I'm producing something for you to consume now. There's the aggregators. This would be something like the YouTubes in in this particular case. So, you know, I'm uploading this onto YouTube or I'm uploading this onto uh, as an audio file and it's going out to various different platforms like Spotify and um, to Apple and to some smaller podcasters, podcasting niches, which I also um, try to highlight. And then there's the consumers that is you, the person who is listening to this or viewing this as we are speaking right now. And what he basically says is there's been a real change from atoms to bits. So music in the past, for example, you could only access that on a CD or you could only access that by going to a band live. And what has happened is with this now being able to, to go online, it's cutting out a lot of the, the problems that were, we were having and, and creating greater access. And so this is across many various dimensions. So what we see is um, producers have more access to equipment and to be able to do things. A, this is an example not in this book, but a very well-known Australian musician called Flume. He, his kind of backstory was that he first started getting into music from a CD that he found in a uh, Kellogg's Nutrigrain, a cereal box, and then was able to start creating music on that on his laptop, on I believe his very first laptop, and created a, a massive, huge album that was very popular here in Australia. And I, I think um, worldwide got some attention as well. And he was able to do this just via a CD that you can get in a, you know, a cereal packet. Uh, so we can see, okay, consumers, uh, producers are having more access to these sort of things. You To be a podcaster, you don't really need that much. You just need a microphone and a laptop or something to record into. And then, you know, hey, presto, you're, you're pretty much done. We see with aggregators, for example, they've managed to cheapen delivery. So this is things like uh, warehouses versus stores. So being an eBay or an Amazon is probably a better example. Uh, Amazon in particular, they have these gigantic warehouses. They can put all the stuff in there and then it's just about delivering that to individual people across the world. Whereas this used to have to be done in a storefront in the local store, which I would just go and, and go to and just holding they weren't able to hold hundreds of thousands of different products in my local store that could maybe hold a, a couple of thousand so we can see this cheapening of, of delivery is also having a big play, uh, place in this but then what about consumers because surely they only care for the hits right wrong wrong so i'm going to jump over here on page 24 and this is going to give us a bit of a just a 
uh, I found it a really nice paragraph talking about the changes and and how this is um, changing not only for these producers and aggregators but also for consumers. So. When you think about it, most successful internet businesses are capitalizing on the long tail in one way or another. Google, for instance, makes most of its money not from huge culprit advertisers, but from small ones, the long tail of advertising. eBay is mostly tail as well, niche products from collector cars to tricked out golf clubs. By overcoming the limitations of geography and scale, companies like these have not only expanded existing markets, but more important, they've also discovered entirely new ones. Moreover, in each case, those new markets that lie outside the reach of, of the physical retailer have proven to be far bigger than anyone expected and they're only getting bigger in fact as these companies offered more and more simply because they could they found that demand actually followed supply the act of vastly increasing choice seemed to unlock demand for that choice whether it was latent demand for niche goods that was already there or the creation of new demand we don't yet know but what we do know is that with the companies for which we have the most complete data netflix amazon and rhapsody sales of products not offered by their bricks and mortar competitors amounted to between a quarter and nearly half of total revenues and that percentage is rising each year in other words the fastest growing part of their businesses is sales of products that aren't available in traditional physical retail stores at all and then he goes on to say how you know a very very big number of products multiplied by a very very small number so people aren't wanting all of these things they're not huge massive hits but if you multiply a really 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 big number by a relatively small number you still have a big big number and this is why they're able to generate such big profits and revenues because they're accessing this latent demand that people kind of already wanted or or are they creating it themselves it's it's kind of hard to tell and this is happening a lot due to uh, the ability to reduce the cost of products so that you can offer all of these things you know you can't offer millions of cds in a where in a store because it's just physically the space isn't there to do it and then the inventory and all of these problems of how do you access it whereas online it's much more easy you know we have data we have algorithms we have ways of accessing this much much easily uh, more easily and we can do this through uh, typing things in a search box versus me having to go to my store and rifle through 10,000 CDs to find the one that I want. So we can see, okay, this is really, really cool. And this is somewhat because the market is is unpredictable and value is, is subjective. And so even though there is this big long tail and you might think, oh, that's not so good. You know, maybe there's crappy products. The reason they haven't they aren't the big hits is because there's no value in them it's not necessarily case it's just that the niche of what i enjoy as a human it gets down and down and deeper and deeper and when i have more access to that i can enjoy things uh, into a more to a different degree and i think we're going to have some real interesting things coming up with ai and and stuff like that but i'll i'll save that for a, for a later section so uh, there's a couple of general rules that he talks about in this, and so I'm going to jump onto page 217. The, the two, so this is for businesses in particular, is that you want to make everything available and then you want me uh, to help me find it. That is the aggregator side of things. And so the rules for this are basically lowering your costs and you do this by uh, moving inventory way in. So collating it all into one big warehouse and then um, being able to save on, on shipping and, and, um, and on the actual holding of the product. So becoming more and more centralized in one way or uh, moving it way out and then just offering everything in a digital manner. 
Uh, you can also do this by letting consumers do the work. And so you see this with the ratings and reviews and that's uh, essentially taking the place of the middleman of the the choice maker who's making this. Um, I think this is really brilliant. I, I really enjoy this or it's it's allowing people to find their own individual ways based on what other people think and you can create many separate niches for people to search in uh one distribution one distribution method doesn't fit at all so some people do want to go into stores one some people do want to access it online so it's better to to try and do that uh one product doesn't fit all so the, there is in that niche aspect of offering a different color of a you know pastel green compared to the normal green you know people do want that and they will buy it just for that color uh, one price doesn't fit all and so being a bit more dynamic with the pricing and saying some people really want these ones some people really want this um, and you can do this a lot more easily when it is an online manner uh, losing control so this is sharing information of kind of just saying to customers here is everything there's here's the whole gamut you know choose what you want to do with this think and not or so it is possible to have the same piece of music a britney spears song as a cd uh, as a single online as an album online um, there's very as a bloody um, what do you call those record uh, vinyl you can do all of these things. You don't have to be in one separate camp. Uh, trust the market to do your job. So this is just straight up open sourcing it, allowing the the general supply and demand to work. And then understanding the power of free of offering small snippets of it so people can get a taste of it and know, oh, I actually do like this. I want more. So we see, I think with all of this, it's rather agnostic overall. It just allows for choice. It doesn't have any implications on humans and on uh, whether this thing, this product is good or bad or anything like that. It's just saying like, hey, here's everything. You make the choice for yourself. And is this bad? I mean, you can make some small cases where it's like, oh, people are buying more violent things because they are on the fringes or they're acting in certain ways or, um, you know, this is allowing all sorts of bad things to happen. I say no, just based on effects, it seems to be... uh, one, it, it allows people to move away from a kind of monolithic, the hit, you can only buy this product or you can only consume this content. When there is unlimited choice, you actually get to choose what exactly do you want. And a lot of people are just going to go to the mainstream hits and I'm part of them for some things. And then for other things, I'm like, no, I, I want to listen to this particular one niche thing because this is what I enjoy. So let's jump onto the economics and I'm going to put this as clearing up misconceptions because I already talked about a couple of misconceptions there, but there's a fair few and there's some doozies in here. So economics is really all about supply and demand and uh, it's very simple. You know, if uh, if you're terming, looking at it in terms of price, you'd say, okay, if there is uh, more demand and there's less supply, then you would say, okay, price is going to go up and then vice versa. And there's some really funny things that come out of this. So for example, with all of this choice, with this unlimited um, uh, endless choice, is this actually creating unlimited demand? Is this actually uh, spreading the money around more? Is everyone making more? And kind of, but mostly no. And so everyone gets a little bit of a, a, a bit of bigger piece of the pie and the pie is actually expanding. So it's, um, it's kind of a non-zero sum game. The uh, 
consumers, they get a slight reduction in price because if you're buying things online, that's way cheaper than having to go to a physical store where they're uh, holding it. And you can kind of see a, on, on your screen now a, an example of why music, for example, with just the distribution of physical creating of products, if it's all digital, yes, it's going to be way cheaper. So the consumer, you get a little bit. Uh, as the producer, if there's more access to me, I, I can get some benefits from that. I can get the benefit of instead of being in the long tail and just completely cut off from a market, if that long tail opens up, yeah, more people are going to buy my stuff. Um, and But what we see is that in the biggest side in terms of the pricing of making money, it's the aggregators. This is the Ebays, this is the Amazons, this is the Netflix. They make a, an absurd amount of money by offering all of this. So the effect of the long tail and opening it up is mostly economical for the aggregators. For the producers, I actually would kind of say this is more as an ability to use your skills. Just because people have access to your to your content doesn't mean that you're going to become rich. <laughs> you still have to produce things. You still have to make the effort. But I think it does allow you to be successful in ways that you wouldn't have been previously. In the old industry, to be, become like a, a popular musician, you had to kind of play the game of the record labels. You had to be willing to somewhat sell your soul if you uh, wanted to, um, I don't know, sell tons or sign with this label. They would have been like, mm, no, we, we think you're more of a poppy sort of vibe. Um, you're going to appeal to this age range. So we suggest that we create your image like this. And uh, one of the examples in the book is how with the ability to, to sample songs online and uh, to kind of spread it out to a wider audience, the, this music label had this artist and they kind of painted her into this mid-20s female brush, whereas they found that the music she was creating actually resonated more with the younger generation, like teenage girls. And so they were completely wrong in their decision. What they also found from this was just because she had a kind of minorly successful hit um, distributing via one of these kind of online platforms, it didn't make her famous and successful. It didn't make her super popular. And that was because she just didn't have a big groundswelling of support. She didn't have a super strong fan base, those 1,000 true fans who would love her no matter what. And so we can see, okay, this is more just an opportunity to use your new skills. Say you don't want to sell your soul for um, at, at uh, by signing for a record label. That's cool. You can put it all online and you can uh, drive people through to your MySpace page, which was what some of the examples. And uh, I believe this was how My Chemical Romance, for example, got really, really popular. So if you have more digital online native skills and not great skills at you know connecting and working through the record labels and things like this, you can, you can use those skills and um, then with the access to more choice and consumers being able to access it in a different way, you can utilize those skills better. So you don't necessarily make more money, but I think you have the opportunity to use things that you are better at to make more money. For consumers, it's mostly cultural. So sure, you get some side-on effects of things are, are, are slightly cheaper if you want to, but it's more a cultural effect. I can now access a band which I had never heard of before or a unique product of a, I don't know, let's just take a, a globe, for example, and uh, being able to use that and say, wow, this is so much superior in quality and I really enjoy this and um, I get a benefit from this. And this can then have cultural uh, impacts further on where, if my friends know about this, it, it allows me to 
to show things. It can create new hits from places where they weren't before. So those are some of the the changes, I guess, and it's the money changes. And it doesn't mean everyone's going to get rich. It just means things are going to be different. And I actually think value for value will change this, especially on the aggregator front. But I'll um, talk about more of that in my personal observations coming up. The Pareto principle. There's a perennial one. I always get this wrong. I'm super guilty of this. So he's got a section here on page 131 where he is talking about this. So the 80-20 rule is chronically misunderstood for three reasons. First, it's almost never exactly 80-20. Most of the large inventory markets I've studied are 80-10 or even less. No more than 10% of products account for 80% of sales. If you're troubled by the fact that 80-10 doesn't add up to 100, you've discovered the second confusing thing about the rule. The 80 and the 20 are percentages of different things and thus don't need to equal 100. One is a percentage of products, the other a percentage of sales. Worse, there's no standard convention on how to express the relationship between the two or which variable to hold constant. Saying a market has an 80-10 shape, 10% of products amount for 80% of sales, can be the same as saying it's 95-20. 20% of products account for 95% of sales. Finally, the rule is misunderstood because people use it to describe different phenomena. The classic definition is about products and revenues, but the rule can be just as equally applied to products and profits. And so uh, it goes on to talk more about how people are are kind of misunderstanding this rule. And like I said, I I do this all the time. And what he goes on to, to highlight there is just because there is inequality, it doesn't mean that there isn't value and that that nothing else is worthwhile so if you know 20 percent of products account for 80 percent of the revenues for example there is still a whole shit ton of value in that other 80 percent of products that account for 20 percent of the revenue and if you can kind of unlock that or make it cheaper or do things through technology to get greater access to that one you can actually shift that it doesn't a lot of the 80-20 rule is actually determined by constraints on the access to these products. So probably in the natural order of things, and we can look at this in terms of the amount of galaxies and stars in a galaxy or the size of those stars or gravity or phenomena of things attracting, we can see this in nature everywhere, you know, tree variety and and, um, variety of humans across the world and things like this. There is always this kind of clumping and grouping but it doesn't necessarily have to stay that way these things change and a large portion of that is just due to arbitrary metrics and if we change uh, not metrics arbitrary constraints and if we change the constraints we see okay people actually have a greater desire to find new products to um, access things that they didn't have before and it wasn't because they hated it and they preferred the um, i'm always using britney spears the taylor swift's it doesn't necessarily mean they prefer the Taylor Swift. It was just that was easier to get to. That was easier to access. So what's the thing from this? Well, accept everything. Accept the as a business, if you want to accept all of it and accept this more choice, you can find interesting and unique trends within those subgenres, those niches. Another one, too much choice. Okay, but Kyron, there's too many things going on. I, as the consumer, it's a bad thing for me to be able to have too much. And... This is a misconception in one way because it's it's kind of partly cultural. So, for example, if you're a farmer and you're going into New York City, 
yes, it's going to be overwhelming. There's all these different things going on. There's so many different stores and you can go to a store just for tea and you can go to a store just for Lego and you can go to a store just for like, it's too much. And, and it, especially if you're comparing it to your own small town where there is one store or three stores maybe. And so this this idea that there's too much choice, another of this comes from a study which he was citing, which was, you know, you have a bunch of jams on a in a supermarket and there's uh, an access of, of 20 different jams and people come up and taste them and they're like, oh, that's nice. Did this actually create more demand for uh, these different types of jams of, you know, marmalade of uh, rhubarb of all of these unique, you know, ones with spice and chili in it, for example? Not necessarily. It didn't drive new sales. But this was because it was kind of just presented as like, here's 20 different things. Try all of them and see which one you like. And it's actually more about this search function and the criticality of needing to have a way of filtering out things. And so if you're just presented with 20 different options and you have no idea what you're looking for, or you you do know what you're looking for, but you don't know, okay, which one of these is sugar-free? Well, if, if it's not labeled clearly on it, it's kind of going to be hard to determine. And so sugar-free could reduce that down to 20% of your options. But if you're just left with 20, you're going to be like, oh, I don't know what to do. And we can see this with, uh, he's got an, uh, an example in this about how flour, and he was kind of saying, you know, flour is one of those staples, which is just, it's there's no long tail market in this. No one's going to care. But then, you know, five, 10 years later or something, he goes into a Whole Foods, uh, which I think is an American um, type of uh, uh, supermarket. And in there, there was you know, almond flour. There was you know, different various of wheat flours, gluten-free flour, all sorts of different stuff in there. And he was like, well, okay, I guess I was, I was wrong. There is a demand for different types of flours, and it's just something I don't particularly know about. And then there's also just um, the placement of things. If you go into your supermarket, the things at eye level sell the best. And so if you change things up and you put uh, the the source brand, which is the most popular, down a bit and the least, uh, least popular one, which is right near the floor, up higher, that one will actually sell more. So it's kind of just about the the showcasing of things, of highlighting of things as well. And so too much choice, it's, it's kind of, uh, yes, there's a problem with that if it's just completely arbitrary and it's just all in front of your face but if there are search mechanisms so you can look exactly for what you want or if there's even recommendations for example one of my podcasts uh, it got put up on the new and noteworthy on apple and people just uh, started to look for it and they enjoyed it more and they actually subscribed to it more and it was still there for for a long while and it's like well okay <laughs> there was so much choice they could have found this anyway but there was a boosting factor in Apple going, oh, okay, this is worthy of being new and noteworthy. So here, check this out. And people enjoyed it. So too much choice, uh, the the abundance of choice, it's it's not really a problem. It's more the search functions are, are crappy and you can't find exactly what you want or that there is not enough recommendation systems for people who are kind of wishy-washy or don't know exactly what they want. You know, here, try this thing. And you go, okay, cool, I'll, I'll try that. The last one that I really took out from this was, is it all crap? You know, the long tail, 
it was necessary to have this mechanisms of filtering on the in the short head because this is where the better artists actually were. This is where the talent actually is. Um, and that's not necessarily the case. There is a lot of crap in the in the long tail. There is a lot of half-assed podcasts. There are a lot of half-assed products out there. There are a lot of shitty pens. There are a lot of shitty music. But there's also some real gems. And so what you can kind of see is that the variation of this actually increases. And you can actually find some higher quality things in the long tail. Is Taylor Swift the epitome of the best music that has ever been created by humanity? Probably not. There's probably some other different types out there. Um, And maybe it is for certain people. And maybe that is why she is so popular. But you could also go... Okay, well, it's it's not necessarily that she is the best, but she's kind of been promoted. She's uh, found a way. She's been put on the front pages of these things, and so people are naturally just drawn to it. Um, but we can kind of see, well, with the the, the longer tail, this wider, wider range, it isn't filtered as much, and so there's no talent scouts going out for things. There's no executives trying to do what they think that the market is going to do in the next five or ten years. There's no editors saying, oh, this kind of quality, these spelling mistakes, I'm not going to let that pass into this book or do these sorts of things. And it's a non-zero-sum game, and so <laughs> just because there's more stuff out there, it doesn't mean that these things are going to eat away from the bigger hits. There is actually a, a case to be made that with greater access, there is greater demand. I would actually probably say this is a lot more due to other factors such as improved living standards, not needing to work as much. And so you have more time to consume things which you really enjoy, you know, music and and books and art and physical products. People aren't being driven to this just because uh, it's, it's something, well, maybe they are being driven to it because it's just something to do. But they probably get some enjoyment out of it, right? They probably find value in it. And so that is why they are consuming more music. That is why they are reading more books. And when you don't have to deal with the drudgery of, I don't know, driving across Australia in a truck to deliver food products to this small town, uh, if an AI you know, truck, a self-driving truck can do that, that person has way more free time. What are they going to do with it? Well, they're probably going to do it on things they enjoy more than driving, which um, I mean, maybe some of them do, but I, I doubt it. <laughs> they are probably going to spend that or more times on things they enjoy, spending time with family or listening to music they enjoy or reading a book. So that's that's also playing into the economics of all of this. Whew. All right, let's jump into my own observations and takeaways. The future, what can we expect he doesn't actually talk that much about the future. This book is really about the the present moment. And because this was written 15 years ago, it is slightly dated in, in that respect. Um, so I'll make a prediction for the future. And my prediction is that the at the moment, the aggregators are the choke point. So these are the things like Spotify or Google and Apple, where they take 30% of everything, for example, in the, in the, um, app, in the app stores, or they uh, are not that... Mm, great in the distribution of profits, for example, to people, musicians. Um, I think there's going to be a trend probably in the next 5, 10, 15 years where they'll either get bypassed or a new set of aggregators will pop up. And this is where I think the ability to 
uh, interact peer to peer and to send value more directly back and forth from a um, a producer and a consumer is kind of going to take away the necessity of some of these aggregators. This is in contrast to what I just said, which was a, a big portion of this is the um, filtering of things, so of the of providing better search functions and of being able to um, give recommendations. So I think there is going to be still that, but it'll probably also splinter up a bit as well. I think we'll see probably more um, people being able to find music through recommendations of DJs who are able to do it in a kind of value for value music music of being able to do it in this manner where um, you can do it in a kind of podcast format, for example. I think that is going to to drive different uh, behavior. And I think these aggregators, they're not going to be these monolithic companies or if they are they'll be ai related and if they're ai related they might have individual ais which are suited to my um, tastes and niches so i think things are going to change i I do see that the mm, the aggregator aspect of this they're probably going to shrink at least a bit in terms of size or in terms of revenues and profits um, with the rise of a more peer-to-peer nature of being able to do things more directly between um, producers and consumers. So that's just my personal prediction. This book, man, tech books date kind of quickly. (laughs) I'm going to jump onto page 12 and just read out this little section. So he's talking about how he came up with the long tail and why he was collecting so much data and and things like this. And so he says, um, this book is partly an economic research project with help and involvement of students and professors from the Stanford, MIT, and Harvard Business Schools. It's partly the fruit of more than 100 speeches, brainstorming sessions, and site visits with companies and industry groups that see the long tail changing their world. And it's partly a collaboration with the dozens of companies and, and, and executives who shared many mega, megabytes of internal data, giving me an unprecedented view of the emerging microeconomics of markets in the online age megabytes people <laughs> so we can really see okay wow this is a this is very very you know megabytes back in those days were a large volume and now would say oh you know unless it's terabytes or exabytes or petabytes it's it's not even that that big and i'm sure in 50 years time they'll look back at this and be like petabytes unless we're talking about google bytes like there's no there's no um point point talking about that another thing is he was referencing a lot of companies and a lot of niche things in here. And this just changes with time. One, for example, is Rhapsody. I'd never heard of this thing called Rhapsody. And basically, I found out this is a derivation of Napster. So it was Napster became, became Rhapsody or something like this. I'd heard of Napster before. Uh, so there was that. And he referenced Nap, uh, Rhapsody constantly in his book. And I was just going, like, I've never heard of this. Um, and then just even small things, my, uh, bands with minor hits he was talking about. And I was just going, man, I've never heard of these. Maybe it's an American thing. Maybe it was just a thing at the time. But it was just an example of showing, you know, a book like this kind of does date because it is technology related and technology just goes by so, so quickly. So in summary, it's a great explanation of a phenomena and a trend. It's a rather compelling argument with links to deeper principles so about markets, about economics, about value. Uh, I, I found some really interesting things that were kind of beneath the surface in this. There's some limitations to this book of how it will apply, especially to future focus stuff. So social media, he didn't talk about social media in this at all. Uh, AI, 3D printing, 
I'm not sure how much it has to say on those because I think a different trend will emerge based on these and it might not necessarily be a long tail sort of phenomena. It, it might be different. Uh, and for example, the aggregators, I personally don't think will will be as successful as they were. And um, the the aspect of these big monolithic things cropping up, it might not happen. I personally thought the book could have been shorter by about one third. I, I really enjoyed it, but I just found it at times slightly repetitive. Some of the titles of the chapters just kind of sounded the same to me. The new producers, the new markets, the new tastemakers, long tail economics, the shorthead, the paradise of choice, niche culture, the infinite screen. I just feel like some of them probably could have been bundled up a little bit tighter. So um, that was probably my own detraction from the book. So overall, the longer long tail, the long tail by Chris Anderson, I'm giving a very solid seven and a half out of 10 to I really enjoyed this book and um, I found some great principles um, to, to take away from this and I'll probably be using that in, in other uh, aspects, of, particularly in the Value for Value podcast where I'm going to explore more of these trends. And that's it for today, my mere model eyes. Thank you for joining me to this a part of the end, the end of the audio. What are your thoughts on the long tail, on Chris Anderson, on markets, economics? What did you think of my future predictions? Do you think these all hold true or am I talking out of my ass? I would love to know all of these things. The best way to do that is via what I was mentioning before, a direct um, connection that you can have with me. So uh, doing this through a Boostergram, which is if you're listening in a podcasting app, which has the ability for chapters. And I will just say, I was saying check out your screen because there are apps which will show chapter images, which I do put in. So you can see the graphs that I was talking about. Uh, which I do think is a, a nice little addition to the podcasting experience. And you can also get things like transcripts and um, uh, links to the stuff that I'm talking about in there. And you can also help uh, support the show directly by streaming micropayments of uh, Bitcoin to me and also uh, sending in a message, which I always acknowledge at the end of month book recaps. If you want to know more about this, go to merementalspodcast.com support and you can uh, find some of the links and the explanations of that there. You can also do this via the PayPal as well with the, with the link down in the show notes. So I would just recommend that. I'd also recommend checking out the Mere Models podcast. I do this with my friend Juan, who also appears on this channel uh, in a more conversational style, not necessarily related to books, but a lot of the ideas that we take out from this, um, from these books we, we talk about in that show as well. So we'd just recommend checking that out. And of course, the Value for Value podcast, which is quite highly related to this one, um, where I talk about things related to this direct peer-to-peer -peer moment, why I think aggregators will um, have a some troubles, some changes in the future. And yeah, I'm going to leave it for there today. Thank you so much for joining me. And I really do hope you're having a fantastic day wherever you are in the long tail. Ciao for now, Kyron out.